This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode, we have questions from Stephen, Amy, Caleb F., Susanna, and Benton. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions. Then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. We'll start with a few serious questions. Our first question comes from Stephen, who asks, Why did Jesus come? This is a great question and a great time of year to be asking this question because this is the season of Advent where we are waiting in anticipation for the celebration of Christmas, which is the celebration of Jesus's birth. So the question is, why did Jesus come? Well, the Bible teaches that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became a human being and came into the world for a very specific purpose. He came because God had promised to save his people from their sin. In fact, this is the reason why Jesus is named Jesus. The name Jesus comes from the Greek. It's the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. And Joshua in the Old Testament was the great conqueror of the promised land, the one who had delivered his people and and brought them into the land of promise. So when the angel came to Joseph and told him about the child who was to be born, he told him to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Human beings in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, had fallen into sin. And the only way to atone for those sins, to pay the price for those sins, was for God to become a human being and to die on our behalf. And that is why Jesus came. And that is why everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ is forgiven of all their sins. Our next question comes from Amy, who asks, How do you choose what songs to do in our worship services? Well, Amy, this is a great question because, of course, every week we sing various songs in worship. I am actually not the person who chooses those songs. Our musicians each week choose the songs, but I can tell you what the thinking is behind choosing this song or that song. So the choice of song is usually based on the lyrics of the song, the words. Because when we sing songs in worship, those songs are kind of like prayers that we sing out loud. And so the musicians look at the words of the song and they choose words that fit with that part of the worship service. So at the beginning of the worship service, when we are coming into the presence of God, we sing songs of celebration. We will later in the service sing songs of thanksgiving after Our confession of sin, when we hear words of assurance of pardon from Scripture, we will sing a psalm that is a psalm giving thanks to God, celebrating the fact that we have been forgiven. 
will also sing a song during communion. And those songs are chosen to be especially appropriate for coming to the table and celebrating the Lord's Supper in that way. So the main rationale or reason that we choose the songs that we choose is because of how they fit into what's happening in the worship service. We also try to choose songs that will help you relate as you worship, that will help you feel the way that you're meant to feel at that certain point. It'll help you give uh, like words to the, the thoughts of your mind and the feelings of your heart as you worship the Lord. So all of these are reasons why we choose the songs that we choose. And we also pray that as we're making these choices, God is helping us make the right ones for the service that we're about to have. And now it's time for the big question, which comes this episode from Caleb F. So let's give Caleb a round of applause. Here's Caleb's question. He asks, why does Mark chapter 16 verses 9 through 20 say that it is not included in the earliest manuscripts? Is it or is it not God's word? Caleb, this is a really interesting question. In fact, it's a question that we talked about at youth group this past week when I met with the middle school youth group class and we talked about different questions that students had. This was one of the questions that came up and it is one that has a little bit of history behind it. As I explained to the students in youth group, Originally, if you were reading your English translation of the Bible, let's say in the year 1600, when you got to the end of Mark's gospel, you wouldn't find a footnote saying that that it wasn't included in the earliest manuscripts. But you will find that in modern editions of the Bible. So the question is, what happened? What changed? Well, what changed was, starting in the 1800s, we started making discoveries out in the desert of old manuscripts, of old pieces of papyrus, early copies of the New Testament letters. And as scholars compiled these copies, they were able to get versions of the New Testament that were much earlier in date than the ones that we had been relying on, which came from later. Now, remember, they didn't have a printing press. They certainly didn't have the internet back in Bible times. So the way that these letters were handed down is they were copied over and over again. And the paper, the papyrus they were copied onto was not going to last for centuries and centuries. So they'd have to make new copies as the old ones were used. But somebody took some of these old copies, put them in a jar, put them out in storage in the desert, and these were rediscovered. And that gave us an opportunity to compare really early copies to the later copies that were still around. Now, a lot of people thought that when we made that comparison, what we would find is that the Bible was very different later on than the earliest copies, that over time, a lot of stuff had been changed or added or subtracted. But in fact, that's not what happened. 
when all of these early manuscripts were compiled and compared to the Bible as it had been handed down, what we discovered was astonishing, which is that despite 2,000 years of manuscript transmission, there was an astonishing similarity between these earliest manuscripts and these later ones. In fact, almost all of it was the same, and most of the differences were differences of just punctuation or spelling. But there were a couple of exceptions, and the end of Mark's gospel is one of those. The the last group of verses there is a group of verses that they were not able to find in these early copies of the gospel of Mark. So the question was, what does that mean? What does it mean exactly? Some people said, well, if it's not in these early copies, then it must have been added later. Other people would say, well, no, 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 just because it's not in this particular copy doesn't mean that it wasn't part of other early copies that we just haven't found. We're we're just not sure. So as a result, what they did was they included this footnote in order to let you know that in the early manuscript copies that we have recovered, we do not have this section here. So this comes from later manuscripts, and you can make of that what you want. Some people, as I said, believe that those parts were added later. Other people think, no, they were part of earlier copies, just not the copies that we found. And at this point, we can't really be sure. So it's a question of faith, really. Personally, I'll say this. When I get to that section of scripture, the way I treat it is like everything else that I find in the Bible. I don't put it in mental brackets and say, well, this part's not really the word of God. I tend to believe that even if it wasn't in those early parts of of the manuscripts that were found, that that it was part of that manuscript tradition in, in some other part that just wasn't found. But I take that on faith, and I think it is helpful in a situation like this to have that footnote there just to let us know that this is a little bit different. This is one of those areas where we have to do some thinking about how to interpret this particular passage. So that gives you a little bit of the history and also explains kind of the way I approach that and hopefully you find that helpful. The main thing to take away though is that astonishing fact that despite all of those different copies made by all of those different scribes, what we have now is almost entirely the same as what we had at the very beginning. That is an astonishing testimony to the faithfulness of God through this process of transmission. And now before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. Our first question comes from Susanna, who asks, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Susanna, I would love to have a superpower. I'd love to have a lot of superpowers, to be honest with you. If I had to choose just one superpower, what would it be? There's something about being able to fly that seems like it would be a lot of fun, but I'm not sure if flying would be the one. I think, for me, I would like something like uh, x-ray vision, like being able to see through walls and stuff like that. I think that would be kind of interesting. Or even lasers from my eyes that could destroy anything that I was looking at. That might be kind of fun as well. In fact, the more I think about the things I would like to do, it seems like all of the superpowers that I like might involve destroying stuff. And and maybe that's a good reason why I don't have any superpowers. Hmm, I'll have to give that one some thoughts. 
And now Benton asks, what was your favorite question asked at youth group? As I mentioned already, this past week we had a special treat in youth group. I was invited to visit the middle school youth group class, and they got to ask me all sorts of questions. It was kind of like an episode of The Big Question, only in real life. I loved it. I I had a great time. I enjoyed all of the questions that were asked. Some of the questions that were asked were really hard that forced me to, to, to really think. Other questions were just a lot of fun, and I appreciated those as well. It's hard, though, to single out just one question and say, that question was my favorite. And I'll tell you why it's so difficult. It's because... I really love the idea that young disciples at Grace feel comfortable asking questions. And I know that everybody has different questions depending on what you're thinking about, what you're learning, what part of the Bible you've been reading recently. And whatever your questions are, I think they're good questions. If your questions are serious questions or your questions are fun questions, if you're asking big questions, all of those questions are really good. And I want to encourage you to ask whatever question you have so that I don't have to just choose one kind of question to be my favorite. I can answer them all and enjoy them all. The main thing is that you feel comfortable asking questions and that you understand that some questions are hard to answer and and impossible to answer because sometimes there are just mysterious things that we don't understand. And if you have that in mind, it's good to ask questions and it's good to seek after those answers. So I guess my favorite question asked at youth group wasn't one particular question, but just the, the fact that we were able to get together and that everybody felt comfortable asking all kinds of questions and nobody was worried that the question they were asking wasn't the right kind of question or that, that other people would laugh at their questions or anything like that. Everybody enjoyed being able to ask those questions and, and I loved that. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Until next time, remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. So never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will always stand up to scrutiny. So until next time, keep asking the big questions.